Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. You made it back. Look at you. Good job, everybody. That's like the proof of like a, like a solid parish. Everyone comes back on the Sunday Mass when you got Christmas on Saturday. This is impressive. Big crowds at the 8, big crowds at the 1030. Just very proud of you. Very proud. All right, well, today we're celebrating the Feast of the Holy Family. And look, I, I hope that you guys had a wonderful time at home celebrating Christmas with family and friends. We didn't have to worry about people driving through snow and winter and slush and ice and all that stuff. So it was really... I'm just, I was grateful for that. Last year, that was a nightmare, right? Christmas Eve, all that snow. I've got great memories, uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas night with, with all the extended family coming over. I'm sure you do too. I have all these wonderful memories growing up as a kid with, uh, especially like my mom's side of the family coming over. They're, they were the musical side of the family. Not so much my dad's side, but my mom's side was the musical side of the family. So people busting out guitars and mandolins and violins and piano and singing Christmas songs and all my aunts harmonizing to all these songs, and uh, it, was just, it was just wonderful, wonderful memories. I'm sure you got the same. So in the church's calendar, right, this year, of course, the first Sunday of the Christmas season is always uh, the Feast of the Holy Family with, like I said, Christmas falling on a Saturday. We get this sort of two-for-one special to, to kind of soak in these mysteries in a more intense way, back-to-back. So there's three things I want to talk about this morning. Three, uh, yeah, three movements of of this homily, if you will. I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about icons. I want to talk about the iconography of the family. And I want to talk about the Holy Family's role in our healing. And I just want to say at the outset, I just want to invite us to just pause for a second because as I was preparing for this homily, this this is just some, like, I want to share some deep stuff this morning and, and I want to press into some areas in our hearts that might be a little bit painful. So I just want to pause and invite us to maybe pray for each other, to pray for the Holy Spirit's protection upon us. And let's just offer together a Hail Mary. As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I feel better. All right, so... Uh, let's talk about icons first. Uh, I brought an icon. This one sits in my office. Show and tell. Can I hear some oohs? Can I hear some ahs? Very. You don't sound impressed. Ah, oh, there you go. All the way in the west nave. Or east nave, do you see it? Okay. So this is an icon that was given to me as a gift from um, a friend of mine who's from Lebanon. And he's good friends with a group of cloistered Carmelite nuns who are uh, Byzantine, or cloistered Byzantine nuns. And um, this was done for me by a Byzantine nun who maybe one day I'll meet in heaven. Um, and uh, it's obviously of the face of Christ. So this is, this is what an icon is. Um, I'm sure you've seen them, but they're, they're not very big in our Roman Latin church, right? So we're the Latin rite. Uh, there's 20-something other rites of the Catholic church, Eastern rites, and we're the Latin rite. And iconography is a big part of the Eastern rite. So what's the theology of an icon? They're, they're thought of as sacred windows. Sacred windows. They're, and they're, you don't say that an icon was painted. You say it was written. It's a highly elaborate liturgical experience of writing the icons. There's 
prayers that go along with the layers. Everything has symbolism. Everything means something. The gold in the icon is actual gold leaf, and this is my favorite detail about it, that the gold leaf is applied to the icon not through glue, but through human breath. You go like that, and that moisture adheres the gold leaf to the icon, and that gold leaf is a representation of divinity, and your breath is it's the movement of the spirit. How cool is that, right? So that's what that represents. And so the theology here is that like, in and through this physical reality, in and through this physical representation, I am led through it to the reality that it conveys. And at the same time, the reality that it conveys is made truly present to me, really present to me in and through the physical thing. So as I contemplate, as I sit before this icon of the face of Christ, the face of Christ is mediated to me. And at the same time, like through this, Christ's face, Christ comes to me. Right? Because Christ is the incarnate word. Jesus, as St. Paul says, is the visible image, icon in Greek, icon. He's the visible image of the invisible Father. He is the manifestation, the visible manifestation of the invisible one. You still with me this morning? This is a lot of theology. 10.30 in the morning. You with me? Yes? Okay. Jesus is the making visible of the invisible one, right? That's what Christmas Day Mass, the first, or the gospel was about. The word is made flesh, right, and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. We would say as Catholics that all of creation, all of creation is iconographic. All of creation is, or as we would say in the Roman church, is sacramental, visible physical reality that is conveying invisible hidden mystery. This is why Jesus who's the Word made flesh, this is why Jesus could look at all of creation and he could share parable after parable, unpacking and revealing through physical creation all of the divine mysteries that are held there. He could look at seeds and sowers and harvests and yeast and wheat and flour and fish and pearls, all of it. He can look at all of it and say it's pointing to revealing divine hidden mysteries, invisible mysteries. We might even go so far as to say that God speaks, if you will. God speaks in sign language. Everything is revealed to us in signs, if you will. Visible, physical reality conveying invisible spiritual truth. That's what all of our sacraments are. Visible, physical stuff through which the invisible mystery comes to us. That's a lot of isables. You still with me, though? Okay. And there is no more eloquent icon, no more eloquent powerful sign next to Jesus himself that reveals God than marriage and the family. There's no more powerful icon than marriage and the family. Right? So in the beginning, Genesis, right? God, he's making everything by the sheer power of his word. Let there be light and there's light. And then as we get to uh, several verses in, after he's made the cosmic stage, he has to fill the cosmic stage with the principal actors, right? The primary characters, the human being. And then the tone of Genesis changes. It goes from being, let there be this, let there be this, to let us make man in our image after our likeness, in our image, icon again. Let man and woman, the human person, be the icon, the visible physical representation of who we are as God. And we, of course, that pronoun there, that is the Trinity speaking, right? It's the Trinity speaking. So God makes the human person. He doesn't just make a man. He doesn't just make a woman. He makes a couple who together in their physicality make visible and physical 
the hidden, invisible nature of God. Right? Our God who is not just one, but three in one, right? Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from before all time, God the Father initiating the gift, the Son receiving the gift, and that interchange being so powerful, the Holy Spirit spirates forth. Hope you drank a lot of coffee this morning. You still with me? This is like next level theology. So that's who our God is. And so an image of that God in creation, it couldn't just be a man. It couldn't just be a woman. It had to be a couple whose bodies and souls could enter into life-giving communion. Life-giving communion. Just like our God is an eternal exchange of life and love, a life-giving communion. That's who the family is. That's what marriage is. It's the, it is the icon Marriage and family are the icon of the Trinity on earth. Family is God's idea, right? Because family is who God is. That's what, that's what God is. It was and is God's desire because of that, that every child conceived would be conceived within the loving embrace of married mother and father and would come into the world, would be welcomed into the world by the love of mother and father and family and grow within the family of love. Why? Why did he set it up this way? He could have made it so that we grew on trees and fell to the earth. <laughs> but he didn't. We enter the world as a result of the loving embrace of mother and father. And we're meant to come into the world to be welcomed in this family. Why? So that we, be- we can begin to taste the love of the Trinity. So we can begin to catch a glimpse, to catch a taste of what authentic love is. And it's through, first and foremost, and I say this with great, great reverence, like, in the love of mother to child, in the gift of her body to the child, the gift of her breast milk to the child, that's where we first taste the love of the Trinity, Self-giving love. That's what the Trinity is. It's self-giving love. That's what breast milk is. It's self-giving love. It is, it is love made into food. It's love made food. We have the Word made flesh. And that principle carries all through creation. This is why we have love that's able to be turned into food. Right there, we begin to taste self-giving love. And in the innumerable sacrifices, the hidden sacrifices that you mom and dads make, that my parents made, that every parent has ever made, in all of those sacrifices that we'll only know in heaven, we are meant to begin to taste and see and experience self-giving love, who the Trinity is. It is in the family, in the love of mom and dad for each other and for the child that each of us begins to form an understanding of what love is and who God is, right? Because God is love. So that's the environment, that's the atmosphere in which we begin to formulate an idea, an understanding of who God is. And for every single one of us, every single one of us, that image, that atmosphere is inherently warped and wounded because none of us We're born into perfect families. And none of you right now, despite all your holiness, despite your best efforts, none of us right now, and again, with great reverence, are cultivating perfect families. 
None of us are doing that, and none of us grew up in that environment. We were born, all of us, into wounded bloodlines, a broken world, a fallen world, a fallen infrastructure. And yet, we come into this world with hearts that were designed by God, who designed us as human creatures for the environment of perfect love, right? The human person, you and I, we were made to live in Eden. It's the original plan. We were made for Eden, right? Eden is this atmosphere of perfect love. That's what we were made for. And we're birthed into this world, and look around us. This ain't Eden. This isn't paradise. This is the fallen world. We come into this world looking and expecting for Eden, and that's not what we get. It's like like a, like, a, like a dolphin born in captivity, right? That dolphin is, is being formed in the, inside mama dolphin thinking, I'm coming into the ocean, baby. And it comes out, you're like, there's walls. I'm in SeaWorld, right? Like, this doesn't seem right. That's, what, that's our experience. We come into this world looking for and expecting the perfect love of God and we enter into the embrace of mom and dad, into the family that's wounded and broken. We're surrounded by people who are wounded and broken, who have their own traumas. And we receive God's love mediated through imperfect, wounded people all the time. And that, like I said, warps, shapes, transforms our image of who God is. Who, Despite your best efforts, moms and dads, despite your best efforts and all of the love, inevitably... It all, we're all let down. Right here, this is why I invited Mary to pray for us at the beginning, because this is a very tender place in our hearts. Look, maybe your mom and dad weren't attuned to you growing up, like able to read all of those nonverbal things. They didn't notice when your face fell, and they didn't pursue you in that. Perhaps your parents, for whatever reason, they weren't as responsive to your heart, which left you with this impression that in my heart, like nobody's coming for me. I'm not worth it. Maybe your heart wasn't really engaged by your mom and dad growing up. And this is huge in our age of smartphones and screens and all the digital technology. Maybe you weren't engaged. Like many of us grow up in homes in which the food finds the table, the money finds the college savings account, and even the family finds the church on Sundays. And yet somehow our hearts remain undiscovered and unknown by the two people we most need to know us. Our parents. Did you, did you have an undiscovered heart? Do you have what feels like an undiscovered heart? You needed your parents to be strong enough to handle also your negative emotions. Perhaps your family was too fragile to bear the weight of your unedited soul. And you wonder why today you feel trapped and unable to say what you really think and what you really feel. You feel manipulated and boxed in and crippled and you don't know why. Because a lifetime is censoring. Were your parents willing to repair the relationship when there was 
wounding, when there is disconnection and hurt. Healthy relationship is not the absence of failure, but the willingness of the parent to own and rectify the failures when they do occur, when there needs to be reattunement and re-engagement. That's healthy relationship. I'm not going through this litany to try and make us feel pain, or I'm not going through this to condemn you as moms and dads. I genuinely want us to get in touch with our hearts. Because we are masters of deception. We are masters of distraction and coping and numbing. And look, Jesus didn't come that we might cope better. He came to set captives free. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to give hearing to the deaf. He came to raise the dead. He came to transform. I've come to believe, friends, I've come to believe based on my own story and my own journey and working with and walking with countless other people that the wounds that the Father allows to occur in our hearts when we were little ones, He allowed that so that one day we would set out on the path searching for healing. It's like He leaves those, He allowed those as breadcrumbs because we all need healing. Another word for healing is salvation. And then walking this path of healing, we would come to discover the love and family our hearts have always been looking for from the very beginning, that perfect love of God. Our wounds, if you can think of it this way, our wounds, those painful places in our hearts, in our memories, those wounds are prophetic. They are portals of intimacy. They are invitations into communion potential places of the greatest of intimacy with God, like those wounds, those memories, those places where we didn't receive love, are become, they can become places where we are looking for God. We can receive healing there. And this is where the Holy Family comes into play. And look, if you've checked out like three, four, five minutes ago, please come back in, because this is... This is... This is the thing that... I, that, that that Satan, more than anything, doesn't want you to hear today. This is where the Holy Family comes in. This is why this feast is so powerful. Because they are not statues. Joseph and Mary and Jesus, the Holy Family, they're not just merely statues that we like have on our walls or like holy images or holy cards in our house. They are meant to be, they are real and alive and dynamic people. And they have a real home. And it's called Nazareth. They have a real home. You know what happened in that home? Life. Everything. Every normal life growing up experience happened in that home. But all of it in an atmosphere of perfect love, which none of us can imagine. But it happened on earth, in their home. And here's what's crazy. This is the craziest thing. Because of your baptism, that home is your home. That home is not a place where you just simply visit. That home is your home. Because the deepest identity that you possess as a baptized Christian is that of Jesus. When you're baptized, you're given not just simply a new identity, you're given new relationships, right? Identity flows from relationships. Who am I is answered by whose am I? Right? In your baptism, you become the son, the adopted son of Mary and Joseph. Joseph. 
You have a mom, you have a dad who can love with perfect love. We all need healing, friends. We all need healing. We all need to walk this path. And we're going to walk this path regardless, whether in this life or in purgatory. We're going to walk this path. I don't care right now if you're sitting there thinking, I don't think I got anything to deal with. You got stuff to deal with. You got junk in the basement that you got to deal with. And you're going to deal with it either now or in purgatory. And I promise you it's going to be far less painful to do it now. It all has to get redeemed. It all has to get transformed. We all of us carry these memories, these places of pain in our stories. And often they're little, seemingly insignificant moments, right? Just the look of disappointment on your dad's face when you backed into the garage that first time. Just the exasperation outburst from your mom that left you just fearful as a five-year-old, right? Being teased on the playground in third grade, not being picked for kickball, right? When your first pet died, all of these moments that seem so insignificant, these are powerful and potent moments. Whatever these moments might be for you, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they want to engage those moments and relive those moments with you, not so that you can be caused more pain, but so that you would see what they were doing then. The God who is outside of space and time was there at every single one of those moments to go back in our imaginations because it's real. That's where God speaks to go back to those places and say, all right, Lord, Joseph, show me where you were. Show me what was on your face. Show me how you responded, how you wanted to respond when I backed into the garage and my dad flipped out at me and I was so scared. Show me, Lord, show me, Joseph, where you were. Bring me through that. Mary, when I, was so, when I felt so ugly, looking in the mirror, getting ready for that seventh grade dance, Mary, please come to me in that bathroom and show me what's in your heart for me right there. Friends, what happens in all of this, what happens is healing. And I'm crying because it's real. It is so real. The the Holy Family's love is what heals. And Jesus gives us access to that through the power of the Holy Spirit in our baptism. The imperfect icons of our own families. They were never meant to perfectly satisfy us. They are our families as good as they are. They were never meant to be the sum, total, and source of heavenly love. They were only ever meant to be an appetizer, a window that said, keep going. Keep going. It's even more than this. It's even more than this. And I just want to beg us today to let them engage our hearts. To engage our hearts and wonderful things will happen. Amen. Amen.